Who are those people? I was, uh, I was serving in the food pantry not all that long ago. It was after our backpack ministry had concluded. We collected the backpacks and we packed them together. And, uh, um, and uh, we were distributing them to families if their kids were with them as they came through the, the food pantry drive through line. And uh, a car pulled up that day, had a couple of different households in it, and, uh, and a couple of kiddos were in the, in the back seat. While I was on one side of the car, another volunteer had taken the food pantry order on the other side and uh, had already taken it and came back out with two backpacks for the two kids in the back seat. And so the backpacks were handed through the window and they, they ended up in the back seat. And uh, the kids were having this great time in the back seat, like pulling the things out of the backpack and, and looking at what was in there. And I heard one of them go, Korans! Like, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world. And uh, as I was finishing the order on the other side of the car, I, uh, I heard one of the little guys in the back seat, I'm going to guess he was about five years old, a little guy, and, uh, and he goes, who are those people? And his mom answered, she's like, they're people from the church. And then he was like, why did they give us backpacks, he wanted to know. His mom turned around to look at him at this point, and she, uh, she said, well, they're, they're church people, and they want to help people, and so they give people food, and, and they give people backpacks, people who, who need some help, like, like us. And at this point, I had finished my order, and I turned, and I was walking away, and I heard this little voice in the back seat go, why do they do that? It's like, be still my heart in that moment. And I, I've got to tell you, I really wanted to know what her answer was to that question, but I was walking away, and it felt a little stalkerish to, like, turn around and put my head back in the window so I could hear his little voice in the back seat. So I don't know how, I don't know how she answered it. But I love those questions. Who are those people, and why do they do that? Who are those people, and why do they do that? If we're honest, sometimes people ask that question on the negative side, like, who are those people, and and why are they doing that? I don't want to be a part of those people. And sometimes they ask on the positive, who are those people? I want to be part of those people. Why, why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Which, which will we be? Who are we? That's our, that's our question. So let's dive into that question for this month. Would you pray with me? God, open our hearts to your words this day. Speak to us, Lord, and, and move us, and, and Lord, where necessary, remind us of who you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of us who, uh, who haven't been with us this week, our, our, the uh, weeks preceding this one, this month, our sermon series in this month of October is Listening to the Skeptic. We're answering this question, who are we? Each week, I'm, I'm sharing conversations that, that I've had with, with people who have questions and, and doubts and are, are skeptical in one way or another about, about the church in the world. And, uh, and I hope you've had an opportunity, some of you who've been with us, to reflect on some of the conversations you've heard or, or some of the comments that you have heard as well. So, uh, someone lovingly said to me this week, uh, the first 10 minutes of your sermon the last two weeks has been really depressing. Can you just skip to the good part? Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> 
But, but, uh, but not because we should be depressed. Quite the opposite, actually. We're, we're having these conversations because God has important ministry for us, for God's people, for the church going forward. And, uh, and sometimes seeing what those outside of the church community see of the church, it can be really hard. But, but really important to our understanding of our call to ministry and how others see us. And sometimes knowing what others see outside of the church, what they see in the church, it can, it can hurt. Right? But it also can lead us to, to ministries of healing. And sometimes knowing what others say, it can be really hard to hear critical voices in our lives. But sometimes those voices help us to focus on who we really are, who we're really called to be. So, so this is my prayer for us this month as a, as a community that, right, we're going to hear some things and, and maybe already have heard some things about how the church looks to, to the outside world, that, and we're going to go, ouch, yeah, that's kind of true, and we're sorry for that. We, we know that's not who we're called to be, and in those moments, I hope, we'll, I hope we'll realize that we gather not because we have it all together. We said that in week one. We gather because we're, we're a mess, and we know we need Jesus, and I hope we realize that those are the times for us to look at ourselves and let God's grace flow in and change us and transform us into the people God calls us to be, and sometimes, sometimes this month, maybe you've heard this already, we're going we're gonna to hear about Hear what people say about the church and the world, and we're going to be like, ouch. But wait a minute, that's not who we are as Clay Church. And I hope in those moments we can go, oh, do you know what? The world needs this expression of the church that, that we, we know we're living out here. And, and we're going to need to live that out louder. And I don't mean draw attention to ourselves, but I mean live it in a way out into the, the world for the world to see who Jesus is through the church in a way that is louder than the, than the voices in the world that, that people are crying out are hurtful or judgmental or, or hypocritical, that they know or that they read about. So, uh, so a few years ago, I was at our campus ministry at Purdue University. The United Methodist Church has a, has a joint ministry on campus at Purdue. It's called the Wesley Foundation. And uh, great ministry in West Lafayette. I, I spent an evening with them. I'm pretty sure I was actually giving the message that evening. I remember this conversation much more than I remember the rest of the night. But uh, there were a couple of alumni on campus that night. And, uh, and they sat across from me at dinner as we were having dinner before our, the worship chapel time. I asked them what, where they were now and, and what they were doing. And um, and, uh, and then I asked the question, I was like, so, you know, you're living in this community, where, where are you attending worship? And they looked across at me, and uh, they didn't have to say anything else. I immediately knew the answer. They didn't even have to use words. I could see it in sort of this painful look on their face, like, how do we, how do we tell them this? And so then they said, well, we're not attending worship. We're not part of a church community anywhere right now. And I said, no judgment, just, you know, just curious about your faith walk. And uh, and then we continued in conversation, and, and they, they shared quite a bit more. It was a great conversation. They'd both been active in, in high school ministries and, and campus ministry at, at the Wesley Foundation when they were in college. In fact, they had met there. 
Um, they said that when they got married, they settled into this new community, just so you know, it's not the South Bend community. They'd settled into this new community and, and, uh, and began, they, they visited several churches, and they said, like, everywhere we went, we experienced the same thing. They said there, there just wasn't anything in these communities that we visited that said that this people, this church, was in any ways distinct from the from the community or the world around them. They just looked like another, another organization in the community. They said they saw churches having picnics and concerts and, and big sports programs in the community and, and churches that had book studies and, and Bible study groups that had been together 30 and, and 40 years even, with all kinds, of, all kinds of worship styles in these churches. And they said, they said none of them felt like the experience they had had as a youth in youth group or as a, as a student in college ministries. And then they went on. They said as, as a youth, like their youth groups had, had opportunities every month for a mission focus of, of some kind. They went out and did something in the community or did something for other kids. And then they said the Wesley Foundation experience at, uh, at Purdue was all about caring for the student body as a whole. And so they did all this outreach to, to students on, on campus. And they're like, we were never a huge campus ministry, but, but we knew who we were. We were this group that provided study breaks and, and counseling opportunities and opportunities to, to connect and, and, and heal in the midst of, of difficult times. And, uh, and they, said that, uh, they said that one of their experiences in both those, like as, as kids who attended church every week and were part of youth group and as campus ministry students, they said, you know, we, we, we took this, this, uh, this label as, as church geeks. And they said, we liked that label because it meant that it was part of our identity. It was who we are. And we now have been attending these churches and, and we don't. We don't see church geeks. Like we, see, we see people who have a lot of priorities that they put in front of church and in front of God in their lives. Then they shared this. They said that they visited a church in their, uh, in their community that was preparing for a service day, a service Sunday. And uh, uh, they... They were uh, told that the next week the church was going to cancel worship services, so they weren't going to be in the sanctuary, and they were all going to go out in the world, and they were going to serve. They said it was, it was a, just this, this big effort um, where all the people from the congregation went out on the same day and served, and I thought, great idea. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like, put this one in my mental note list for ministry someday. What a great way to serve. They said the, uh, the church sent out press releases, and they gathered everybody together, and they canceled worship services on Sunday morning, and they spread out in the community, and the news was there, and, and church people were interviewed and talked about how important it was to serve and how, how good it felt and, and you know, all the good they could do on, on, this, on this day, how great it felt to be making a difference. And I thought, whoa, this is great stuff. Made a couple more mental notes. And then they kept going. They continued the story. They said the next Sunday they went back to the church, and everything went back to normal. And over the next couple of weeks, they continued to attend, and nobody said anything about continuing to serve the world. Like, there weren't invitations to, to do anything else. And they said over, over the next few weeks, it just, it just felt to them like this was a once-a-year thing for this church. Like, they, 
He said that we served for a day, we got some great media coverage, some more people came to visit, we feel good, and, and now we're done. That's how it felt to this couple. And so they left. Not just that congregation, but that was the end. They, they left church. And I thought, oops, and I crossed that idea off my mental list for the moment. By the way, I, I've put it back on. There's some there's a reason to do that kind of service if there's invitation to continue to serve. But and I, they said something in that conversation about we don't want you to take any offense. To this we know you're a pastor. Which people often say when when they're sharing their hearts, and and I think I said something like, "Well, no offense." And then I'm like, "Well, maybe a little, but maybe maybe it's offense I need to take. I need to hear." Dinner had ended, and they, they told me, they're like, you know, we, we still believe in Jesus. That part of our faith hasn't changed. We're just not sure about the church. I reflect on that conversation sometimes. Wonderful young couple. I wonder where they ended up. When I think about their story, I pray for them. I pray for the church. And I must admit, after that conversation, I left a little depressed. Here we are at that depression point again, right? Even when I think about it, I, I have this little sense of, ah, I hate that. But then I reflect, as a leader in the, in the church, as a, as a pastor in the church, care and love for the, the church, and then I reflect and I think, what makes us unique? Like if I was sitting down with them again, or sitting down and talking to them about Clay Church, like what is it that makes the church unique? What is it that makes us stand out from the other organizations in a community or, or the world around us in general? What is distinctive about being the church? And I think about Matthew's gospel, and I think about the teachings of Jesus, and we're going to look for just a moment at this great story in, in, uh, in chapter 20 of Matthew's gospel. And if you have your Bible with you and you want to go there, we're going to start in verse 20 in just a moment. It's about the disciples and, and Jesus and, and James and John, and, and particularly a, a word from their mother. But to set this up, we need to know, so Jesus in Matthew's gospel, right, he's the Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5 through 7, and there's all this, all of this teaching about what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. And then um, he shared for the third time with his disciples, and within 20 chapters, he shared for the third time with his disciples that um, he's going to be, he's going to die. He shared about his death for the, for the third time. And we might think at this moment, right, if, we, if Jesus told us three separate times that he was going to die, we might think that the disciples have some concern, like, how do we stop this? right? Or, or ask, you know, what, what, can, what can we do? What's all this going to mean? Why is this going to happen, right? We, we might think of those kinds of questions. But instead, this is what Matthew says happens next. Starting in verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at the left in your kingdom. 
You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, James and John answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So a couple of important points. First, like what parent doesn't want their kids to succeed? Right? The, the mother of James and John has, has heard, her, heard her boys talk about this Jesus fellow and, and how he's bringing about this kingdom, and, and right, she wants the best for them. For those in the room that are parents, how many of you, you wanted the best for your kids? You wanted them to succeed. You wanted them to get ahead. You wanted them to do well in the world. Right? John's, John's mom wants the best for her boys, so she makes this request. And the second thing we might notice, right, James and John aren't alone in their desire to be in the front of the line. Like before we think it's just about James, James and John's mom that makes this request, obviously they're right there as well because Jesus turns to them and says, do you, do you think you can, you can drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Like they're right there as well. And then we shouldn't miss, it's not just them that are still like thinking about the kingdom in terms of position and power because the other 10 disciples are furious, it tells us. They're indignant. They're angry. Well, why would they be angry unless they too cared about power and position in this, in this kingdom to come? They argue about it. They covet the seats of honor. And then the third thing for us to notice Jesus' response is to define greatness for his followers. John's mom wants her sons to be great. The disciples want this desire to be great. And what is greatness? What does Jesus say greatness is? No, really, I ask a lot of rhetorical questions, but this time uh, I think it's worth naming and, and claiming it. So let's answer this one out loud together, right? So uh, uh, even if you're watching from home right now, let's answer this question together. What does Jesus say defines greatness? Servanthood. Right? Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant. Servanthood. As Jesus' followers are requesting places of, of power, he says, no, if, if you want to be great, start with a heart to serve. 
Do you ever wonder about tone of voice in the Bible? Like, take this passage that, that I just read, and, and I, I tried to add a little bit. Like, at, at best, we'll, we often will read Scripture at home with a little, you know, a little bit of personality and inflection. I, sometimes, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because some of us who've been around the church a long time hear the Bible read sort of flatly, and, and we don't put any tone or inflection in, in this place. But I just wonder, I wonder if we can imagine, like, what's going on for Jesus? And this can be a dangerous game, but, but in... In this moment, like, what is going on inside Jesus? He has just told his disciples for the third time that he is going to give his life for the world. He's going to die. And you suppose that, you suppose that at this moment, he's just at this point where he just needs them to hear what he's saying to them. Like, what if we read this with that emotion, right? Kind of imagine him just shaking his head in, in frustration and saying, you get, right? You, you understand that you sound just like the empire that you can't stand. You're talking about power and position just like the Roman Empire that, that you can't stand. This is what you want to move away from. Let me help you see this, this other way. I need you to see this, this other way because I'm not going to be with you in person very much longer. And then I can just imagine him almost begging them to understand and shouting, not so with you. This isn't who you're going to be. This is what I'm preparing you for. You, my followers, you are the ones who are going to have to stand up and help my people see the way. The world isn't always going to get it, but, but you're going to have this example, these teachings that I have given you. You're going to have my very life so that you can show others the way. And we just imagine his desire to instill in them that they hold this truth, and it's going to be theirs to share. Right in that moment, he has to be hoping they'll, they'll remember all these things that he's taught them, right? The world, the world is going to keep categorizing people, and it's going to keep judging people. It's going to keep choosing who to love and, 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 and how to love them. But Jesus says, not my followers. Not my followers. I've taught you not to judge. I've taught you to accept and to love. I've taught you to offer grace. You're going to love people unconditionally as you have seen me do. The world is going to, it's going to cast people aside. It's going to blame the poor for being poor. It's going to, it's going to keep some people out of, of the inner circles. It's going to define progress by, by social advancement. Not you, Jesus says, teaches them. You are going to show people that all are included at my table. That actually the positions of greatest honor are those that step into serving one another, that all are welcome at my table, that all are loved at my table. The world is going to value prestige and, and power, position and, and financial wealth, not you. Jesus must want his followers to find in his teachings. You're going to show people that the way to true goodness, true happiness, true peace in life is servanthood. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. See, the way of Jesus is marked 
by radical love. We are radical lovers. And if that statement is a little scandalous, maybe it should be. We are radical lovers, right? We serve others in, in ways that seem, that seem radical to the rest of the world. Like, I, I don't know that I could ever do that like this people does that. I don't know that I could ever love like this people loves. Our way, the way of Jesus is, is radical. At least that's, that's who we're invited to be by Jesus. Each week at Clay Church, we have a faith fit challenge. Something we are invited to do in the week or the, or the weeks ahead that, that moves us from just hearing a message to letting God's word move us into, into action, to put it into action in some ways. You can always find our Faith Fit Challenge online uh, under the uh, circle curriculum for the week, the bottom of the webpage, or, uh, or you'll see it in the life guide for those that have gathered in person today. This week, our Faith Fit Challenge is this. Uh, we're invited to read Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible. And as you do that, I want to invite you to, to make a list of all of the ways the teachings of Jesus that are most challenging to culture today. Read the Sermon on the Mount and make a list of the teachings of Jesus that are most challenging to our culture today. And then make a list next to that of the teachings of Jesus that are most challenging to you in, the, in your life. To, invitation to see how these, these teachings of, of Jesus, when compared to our culture today, they're They're radical. It's also probably an invitation for us, to, as we look at this question of who are we, to, to recognize that it's really easy, I think, even in our churches today, even for us as, as, as followers of Jesus, to want to fit Jesus into our current lifestyle, right? To, to come to worship, to, to pray, even to serve, like when it's convenient for us, when it, when it fits into, into our schedule in our life, to say Jesus is important, but to, to fit it in around family and, and activities and, and all, of these other, all of these other things, right? We have sports programs and, and music programs, and for those of us that are, that are parents, dance programs demand, demand the time of our kids. For some of us, we have, we have grandchildren to see and, and social clubs that we're a part of and, and other things in the, in the community to be part of in our retirement. For those of us working, we have work responsibilities and, you know, this desire to move up the advancement ladder or, or just the need to keep our business running. There are all these, all these other priorities in, in life, and sometimes it's really easy to follow Jesus but kind of do it on our time. Follow the patterns of culture and then fit Jesus in around the edges. Yet when we hear the teachings of Jesus, right, when we see when we see his sacrifice on the cross for us, we hear another invitation. We hear an invitation to let the way of, of Jesus radically transform our lives. To put Jesus as our, as our first priority. To ask ourselves this question like, what about my life stands out? distinctively showing others that I'm a follower of, of Jesus, the radical way of Jesus. 
where we had this wonderful invitation to ask, like, what would it look like to live our lives? What would it look like to live your life in a way that stands out, that sees servanthood as greatness? All right, as a parent, I think about this. Yeah, yes, our lives are, are built around our kids' schedules and, and everything that they're everything that they're doing and, and sports and band and, and dance and, and all these other things. And sometimes it can feel like we don't have any free weekends. But if we looked at our calendars, we really looked at our calendars, if we were really committed to this radical way of Jesus, could we find just to start with one day a month where we're going to go out and serve in the name of Jesus in the world? And we're going to ask Leanna Fetcher, or Pastor Kathy on our, on our clay team for a, a couple of families that are, a couple of people that are shut-ins that could use, use God's love. And, and once a month, we're just gonna, we're gonna make this a priority and go and visit and share the love of Jesus with them. Or we're gonna, we're gonna commit once a month to the mobile food pantry, which we can do as a family because it goes out sometimes on, uh, on weekends. And, and we're, gonna, we're gonna serve. We're gonna make that a priority. Or maybe... Maybe you're retired and, and you're traveling and you're spending time with your grandkids, which is amazing and, and wonderful, um, and, uh, and, and you're really busy with, with other things, and, and it just feels like a week fills up. You've loved to give money to, uh, to support backpacks or, or food bags, but, but you just have sensed God saying, you know what, this radical way could, could lead you to, to take another step. What if you set aside one day a week to to read to children or be a mentor with big brother, big sisters, or to volunteer through, through one of our homeless ministries. Or Sue is always and continually looking as we're, as we're growing in our food bank and um, our food providing ministries. We are invited to live the teaching of Jesus out in a way that causes others to ask, who are those people? Maybe, maybe your business is, is crazy busy, but, but maybe, maybe God's been on your heart to think about how it is that you, that you serve as well, and, and maybe it's to, to invite your business once every quarter to go out and, and serve for a few hours in a day or to, to go make a difference together as you, as you live that out. We're invited to live the teaching out teaching of Jesus out in a way that says, who are those people? How do they experience such love and joy and peace? What makes them so distinct from the ways that others live in this world? We're invited to stand out not, not for our success in media relations, not for how big our church is or, or even how moving our worship is in any given week, but because of how our love and our radical servanthood transforms the community with the love of Jesus. Who does God call us to be? Who are we? Well, today we hear this invitation to claim we are servants. If something in the community needs doing, we step in and we do it. We bring 100% to Christ, serving as Christ's hands and feet in our community and our world. We are servants, living radical lives of love for our community. Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant.
Amen.